This is the Well Actually Podcast. Thank you for joining, however you may be joining. Please remember to subscribe and leave a five-star review. And maybe share the podcast with a person or two. So before we move on to the footage of the local protests, I just wanted to give an update on what happened in Nigeria since the last episode. This might be an introduction to some people who may be listening for the first time or who may simply be unaware of what's been going on. And if it sounds like I'm reading, it's because I am. Uh, there's a lot to get to, and I didn't want to get sidetracked by a bunch of stuff, but I'll see what we can do. So for the past few weeks, uh, young people all over Nigeria came together to protest against police brutality. The acts have ranged from robbery, various forms of assault, torture, and even murder. These crimes are carried out by a unit of the police called the SARS which stands for Special Anti-Robbery Squad. As the name suggests, their mandate was to prevent the crimes that they perpetrated. Now, up until this point, several weeks in, the NSARS protests had been exceedingly peaceful and self-sufficient, with organizers taking care of everything from feeding those at the protest sites, legal aid for those in SARS custody, and medical attention for those who were hospitalized. There were candlelight vigils in memory of the victims of SARS. And now the most visible site, but by no means the only site, was the Lekki Toll Bridge. With the protests happening on the bridge, it meant traffic around the area had come to a standstill, which was kind of the point. Soon people adjusted and planned alternate routes, but tolls weren't being collected. So just follow the money there. Fast forward to October 20th, protesters were on Lake Toll Bridge and they had been there for the past few weeks. The governor of Lagos State issued a 24-hour curfew, which was to begin at 4 p.m. local time. The announcement was made at noon on Twitter in a state of over 20 million people. Now that kind of leeway made it impossible for anyone who was actually interested in obeying and many suspected it was a guise to bring in more law enforcement to forcefully disperse protesters they were right so thing is what we didn't know is just how far they were willing to go and as the day went on there were reports of people ordered by the government to disconnect the cameras all around the toll gate which seemed suspicious at best and all the while, the protesters continued to chant with the Nigerian flags in their hands, continued to believe in a country that had given them precious little reason to do so. The time for the initial curfew passed and the protesters didn't budge. I say initial because the governor pushed back the time by four hours. So these events by the protesters and the ones to follow were still legal, even in the eyes of the governor. Reports of trucks filled with military personnel heading towards the Lake Tolbert spread all over social media. These men were armed with rifles and bad intentions. As night fell, the lights which had kept the street lit every night were turned off. So was the billboard which provided additional lighting. What followed can only be described as a premeditated massacre. While many of us followed the protests on social media, trying to 
Make as much online noise as possible to raise awareness. Word started trickling in. Shots fired. Surely it must be rubber bullets or tear gas. Please let it be water cannons. They were firing live bullets. Ammunition designed for war was being fired at protesters by their own military. While the protesters were sitting down, flags waving and singing the national anthem, the soldiers opened fire. While the Nigerian government and so certain mainstream media outlets would like everyone to believe that the massacre never happened, the carnage was captured on video. Voices cracked in terror, still singing the national anthem of the country that had failed them, some of them for the very last time. The sound of gunfire rang out. And for the 150,000 or so of us who clicked that link, we watched the events occur in real time. Fortunately, and I feel some type of way using that word, one of the protesters had an IG live going trying to document the horror in un an unvarnished way. Almost as if she knew ahead of time that the power that be would try to rewrite history, even though it happened before our very eyes. We heard screams, we heard cries, we heard prayers, gunshots. There were lots of gunshots. The visuals were even more haunting. The punishment for peaceful protest isn't death. The punishment for breaking curfew isn't death. A curfew that had been moved, by the way. Yet here we were, watching someone take their last breath, bleeding out because they were shot by security forces. The cleanup in the media was fast, but the cleanup at the crime scene was faster. Military officers dragging away the lifeless bodies of protesters that had just been murdered. Not even giving the families the hollow feeling of closure. Nigeria's wickedness knows no bounds. And in recent days, I'm sure you've heard about reports of looting. And the thing that makes the anti-police brutality protests even more dire is that they're being done in the middle of a global pandemic. And if you go back a bit, in order to curb the effects of the pandemic, there were strict curfews put in place all across the country. And it goes without saying, like being able to not being able to go to work would prevent you from getting money to pay for all sorts of things that you need, like the ability to feed, clothe, and take care of yourself. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is, well, the large crowds that you've seen coming out of what might look like warehouses filled, filled with the provisions that were meant to be handed out to people just to help them get by in the middle of a pandemic. All sorts of food items were there. And again, the attention might be on the looters, as they're being called. But when you really think about it, the ones looting were the ones who kept the items that had been set aside by the government. And it'd be one thing if it was one site in one state. No, it was multiple sites in multiple states. The items were just kept there. And the thing about an uprising is it might start with NSARS, but by no means will it end there. 
and people are starting to realize that the officials that are meant to serve them are taking them for granted. And we had one senator, and I'm going to read a quote, said hoodlums looted 350 motorcycles, 400 deep freezers, 350 generators from my house. And the first thing I was like, are you Jeff Bezos? Like, do you run Amazon? Like, why do you even have all those things in your house? And you and you were comfortable saying that with a straight face, like you were the victim. While all of this is going on, uh, the government officials and traditional Nigerian media are trying to gaslight us into believing that the massacre didn't occur. Even though we saw it, they're trying to shift the blame from the military folks who actually carried out the assault to the looting that happened afterwards, looting of items that were supposed to be distributed to citizens. Don't allow that misinformation to occur. Don't feed into what they're trying to sell. Because what they're banking on is that we will lose our enthusiasm, we'll lose our fervor, and we'll lose our intensity. That is something that simply can't happen. And while we're thinking of Nigeria in what is undoubtedly a, a really tough time, we also have to think about our brothers and sisters all around the continent, in Cameroon, in Congo, and Namibia. They're all fighting very real fights. And this is something that we need to take into account as well because Africa is bleeding and whatever we can do to help we should and one more one more thing one more thing which is just which is the most recent thing that occurred and it might be the most vexing there's a video of I, I'm not even sure what it's called I guess it was a former governor but he's one of the He's essentially an oligarch in Lagos, and while visiting the Lake Toll Bridge, conveniently found a camcorder. I didn't speak. A camcorder, which was, <laughs> which they want us to believe captured all of the events of the night of the massacre. And like I said earlier, that happened on the 20th. Since then, like I said, there was a massacre with massive gunfire, followed by the bridge itself being burnt, the toll gate being burnt up, followed by street cleaning, which was meant to clear up everything that was there. And they expect us to believe that that high-ranking person was the one who found a camcorder which is supposed to set everything straight i'm not sure what they take us for but they clearly don't read us they clearly don't think we're intelligent at all and they feel like they can just feed us any story and we're going to take it it is now up to us to show them that we won't all right so now we're going to get to the footage from the 
protests here in Newark, New Jersey. All right, so we're here in front of City Hall in Newark, New Jersey for the NSARS protests. And what we're trying to do today is gather the stories of Nigerian youths and see what their experiences have been with SARS. We also want to find out what Nigerians and the diaspora can do to affect change. And finally, we'd like to figure out where we go from here. So at this point, there was a moment of silence observed and memory of everyone that we had lost to police brutality by SARS. Thank you guys. A community leader addressed the crowd, letting everyone know just exactly what's at stake. To be the great Nigeria again, I remember growing up, Nigeria is known to be giant of Africa. It is time for that giant to rise again. It is time for that lion to roar again. It is time for our youth to take their proper place in offices, in administration, in business empowerment, and in prosperity for Nigeria. An African-American gentleman addressed the crowd, letting everyone know that as descendants of Africa, we're all in this together. We are with you in this struggle. And I want you to know that despite what may have happened in and despite the ocean that is between us, I'm proud to be a descendant of Africa here in America. I'm proud to be an African-American. And we must fight. We must fight not only against police brutality, but we must break the grip of imperialism, colonialism, and neo-colonialism in Nigeria and throughout Africa. We are an African people. We are one people. Whether we be from Nigeria, whether we be from Jamaica, or whether we be from the U.S., one people, one blood, one struggle, one destiny, Nigeria rise. What made you come out here today? So being an American-born Nigerian, the uh, blood of Nigeria flows strongly through my veins. So when Nigeria hurts, I hurt. So as a result, I decided to show my solidarity with my brothers and sisters who are still in Nigeria. All right. All right. Thank you for joining me here on the podcast. So first of all, I want to ask you, what made you come out here today? Because I'm a Nigerian. That's why I'm out here today. Uh, so the first question I wanted to ask you is, what made you come out here today? Um, basically the same feeling that everybody's been feeling, enough is enough. Uh, we feel like, you know, the oppression in Nigeria, the suffering is enough. Um, you're watching it, even though that we're here, watching it from uh, in the U.S. and we see what's happening back home. You feel it. You see the oppression. You see the massacre. You see the pain. So I felt like uh, the more numbers that we see, the, you know, for just uh, if it's a short amount of number, just a few people, the impact might not be enough. But you see their strength in number, their strength in unity. And when the people can see that back home and they know that we're solidified here in the U.S. and we're fighting the same fight with them, they understand and they know that we're standing in solidarity with them. Okay. First, start off by thanking you for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. So the first thing I want to ask is, what made you come out here today? Uh, what made me come out here today was uh, I have families in Nigeria and I've also been a victim 
of SARS before. So you've actually had an experience with SARS? Yes. Uh, is that something you'd be able to share with us? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so basically uh, we was on our way to a wedding and they randomly just stopped our car, random selection, and they just, they stopped us, they questioned us, they said that we made an illegal U-turn that we did not make, and basically they asked us for money. It also didn't help that they knew that we were from America, and when they also saw that we had U.S. dollars on us, that was all more the reason for them to ask us for bribes. Have you had an experience with SARS? Yes, so last year I went to Nigeria and um, around May, June, and I was in the car with my driver and my one of my aunts and we made a turn onto a street and then we had uh, the police pull us over, literally just open up the door and basically tried to get into the car. So that's when my aunt in the back started screaming, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. Then they looked in the back and they said, oh, there's an elderly woman here and left us. So I just, I, I don't even want to imagine what could have happened if my aunt wasn't in the car. Wow. Oh, okay. Dang. What was your reaction to the speech that the president gave? Um, the president was very insensitive. He doesn't care, pretty much, and we can tell that he doesn't care. And um, my reaction to it was, he was better off not saying anything at all. And I think his um, speech just gave us more reason to want to come out and protest against what's happening in Nigeria. I, I agree with you there. So uh, did you hear or did you see anything about the speech that the president gave? Yes, I actually saw it. Basically what he said um, indirectly, directly indirectly was if you like, um, you can keep protesting but we'll kill you. I felt like it was a disgusting statement and he should it would have been better for him to not even have said anything at all. Wow, okay. Another thing I want to ask is, did you hear the president's speech? And if you did, how did it make you feel? So I didn't even waste time to listen to his speech, but I did um, see what people posted about his speech and basically he seemed very cold. Um, he apologized to the police officers, but he didn't even make mention of the innocent lives that were lost. So it, it seemed like he didn't really care about the whole situation. Wow, okay. Also, I wanted to know if you actually saw the speech that the president gave and if you did, what, were your, what was your reaction to it? I, I, like many of the other Nigerians, we were very disgusted by that speech. Um, I, to be honest, I couldn't watch the entirety of it. Um, but what I did uh, grasp from it, the, the points where he was speaking about, you know, destruction and the vandalism. I, I think some of those uh, points that he was bringing out was kind of shifting the attention away from the government. They did not, in one time in that speech, did I hear empathy and sympathetic to the people who were killed. I didn't hear them um, even taking ownership or looking for uh, things to change. But rather, they were talking about the vandalism, which to me was not um, um, becoming of a leader. So some of those things, it's the same thing that we've been hearing over and over for many years in Nigeria. Oh, this is what we're going to do. It's more like basically what everybody's saying. We wanted him to speak. We wanted him to speak. And now everyone now is speechless because of what they heard. So I, 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 I um, yeah, I, I'm sympathetic to that, to what people were feeling. So I noticed you said that he focused more on vandalism than the loss of life. And it kind of mirrors the reaction to the Black Lives Matter protests here as well. So as a Nigerian in America, in one or two words, how would you describe the feeling of knowing that police brutality is an issue both home and abroad? It's disheartening. Because you know that for us right now, yeah, like I'm here in America, I have a Nigerian name, 
Um, but if a police officer stops me, they're not going to say, oh, you're from Nigeria. You, you know, you're not. We all. And this is one thing I want every Nigerian, every African that is here to understand. We have we've always had that mentality that, you know, Africans were better than blacks that are here. That is not true. Once we're in this country, you're a black. You look just like them. OK, so I, it, it's disheartening to know that uh, police brutality is something that we have to deal with here in this country as guests. We're here staying as, as home, but in a sense, we're guests here. And even back home, we can't even go back home. So it's disheartening. So where is safe exactly safe for the black people? Where exactly is safe for Africans? You, uh, America is not safe and you go back home. It's not safe as well. So I feel like, you know, there's something that has, needs to be done. And I think step one, we see the wave that is happening with the youth right now. And this is a wave that must not stop. You saw what happened with the Arab Spring, and this must have the, the time for Africa to rise up is now. So we're standing in solidarity with all the youth and all of the black people in the world. Another thing I want to ask is, as a, as a Nigerian in America, in the midst of the Black Lives Matter protest regarding police brutality, how does it make you feel knowing that this is an issue both at home and abroad? Uh. There's, there's a sense of helplessness because it's, it's just a reminder that no matter where we go, we are, we are not safe, we are not accepted. Um, so just there's an overwhelming feeling of helplessness. So uh, what do you think as someone in the diaspora, what can other Nigerians in the diaspora do to help? Uh, number one, um, rid ourselves of uh, tribalism and stop being selfish. We're all too selfish. We need to develop a dangerous unselfishness, actually, and start caring about everybody, whether you're Igbo, you're about whatever. And to build a, a more stronger coalition with other African countries, because nobody can do it alone. So when you say dangerous unselfishness, what do you mean? Um, a radical love, um, being willing to care about others. Dangerous unselfishness is putting other people before you. If I could put you before me, Put, and you put the next person beside you before you, then we can start getting something going. It's to put others before you. That, that's 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 deep, and uh, and it, it's a really good idea. What can Nigerians in the diaspora do to bring about change? We can raise awareness. You know, we are here, and we have um, representatives, and these representatives are supposed to take our concerns. And one of our concerns is help us help our people, so we can keep protesting like what we are doing right now you know you can um, just even your social media post up about what's happening around Nigeria and just spread the word so everyone can know what's happening pretty much what can people in the diaspora do to help the cause back home so one is this speaking up right so we talk about not just staying silent the more hashtags, I know this is social media, you, everybody can use their platform. That's the first thing. Number two is also uh, uh, be sympathetic and empathetic to the pain that's going back home. Don't just, you know, say, you know, they're home, that's, a, that's, you know, that's their fight to fight. We are all one people. When we saw the Black Lives Matter movement, everyone surrounded the entire world. And you start to see change. You start to see bringing it out into the, uh, into the movement, bringing it out into the, uh, into the media. The same thing needs to happen back home in Nigeria for the Nigerians in the diaspora. They need to speak up. They need to be able to, um, and also understand what is happening. Understand the, 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 the depths and the foundation of what the, root, what the causes are. Not just uh, see what's happening on TV, but to understand, do the digging and do the understanding of the history so that we can better fight what's happening. What do you think as members of Ni as Nigerians in the diaspora, what can we do to affect change? So I believe we can just continue to support everyone in Nigeria, um, continue to put pressure upon the, the government, continue to encourage those back home to put pressure on the government. Another thing I want to ask before we leave is where do we go from here? Um, 
where I would like the country to go, we only asking a very simple amenities, electricity, water, school, you know, um, medical. Those are the little amenities we're asking for, security. But we know it's going to take a long time to get there. But for now, we're starting off with ending police brutality. Then we move to the next thing. The next thing could be good roads, good governments. But you know, you start little by little. So right now we're focusing on ending police brutality and security for our people. So that's, you know, that's where we're going. So before we get out of here, I just want to ask you one final thing. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Um, freedom, freedom is never going to be given by the oppressors. We have to demand it. But freedom doesn't end with our generation because freedom is always in danger of being taken. It's to keep applying pressure, um, keep talking, keep bringing awareness and just don't stop. And to also educate the ones behind us too that freedom, freedom has to be, um, it has to be catered to and attended to, almost like like a garden. Basically, you can't ever get too comfortable with your freedom because in a minute it could be taken away. I, I really appreciate you joining me here. Thank you very much. Final question before uh, we finish this up, and I, I really want to thank you for joining me here. Is where do we go from here? I think one of the biggest problems, of course, we know we understand the corruption. I mean, look at what happened with all the food stuff that they, uh, the food stocks that they found in not in multiple places across the country, right? So I think what was just said here today, one of the first things is that the uh, the international world needs to bring, uh, bring sanctions on the Nigerian government, bring sanctions, uh, deny all of their visas so that they're stuck in Nigeria and they must fix the problems in Nigeria. It, it, it's it's uh, kind of embarrassing for the uh, the president of Nigeria to fly out of Nigeria in order to go get, get treatment. I don't know if that happens here in this country and I can't say if that happens also in the UK as well, that they're gonna go to other countries to receive treatment. So when you put begin to put sanctions on the leadership you begin to put restrictions on them and the people will not do exactly what they, what they want them to do um, people have been bought out through elections by peanuts and I know everyone is hungry and everyone is just trying to survive so the things that we need to do number one and the number two part is unity we need to stand in unit in unison I myself I'm a pastor I'm a youth pastor but we, we need to at this point in order to achieve a goal we can't be uh, we can't focus on our on our tribalism we can't focus on the religion right now we have to bond together into making Nigeria a better place for everyone. The MC tried to ginger us on the way out, but the chants weren't very crisp. Well, it's the thought that counts. We are youths. We have the power. We don't even know how much power we got. We are youths. This is our time. Soro! Soro! Hey, police! Who is Mwari? Nobody. What is nobody? Mwari is a goat. Mwari is a bad boy. Mwari must. Mwari must. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming out. We're about to start marching back. This young lady wanted to let Nigerians know that people from other countries were supporting us as well. Alright, so thank you for joining me here today. All right, so first of all, what made you come out here today? I came out here to support black people and Africans who are being killed by police for no certain reason. All right, so you're, you're not Nigerian, are you? Not at all. all right, and where are you from? Haiti. Okay, so as a member of the diaspora in America, what do you think we can do to help people in Nigeria, other African countries, or even in Haiti, with situations like this? I feel like everybody from different countries should come together, start fundraisers and organizations to donate to Nigeria. 
we should have a word with our president to speak to Nigerian politicians and Buhari so that he can stop all this thing that's going on as we speak. All right, so thank you very much for that. And no protest is complete without Fela.